This podcast is brought to you by Harness Racing New South Wales. It's good times all round at Harness Racing across New South Wales as the state's finest horses and drivers go wheel to wheel. With something for everyone, a trip to the trots is the perfect place to take family and friends. It's easy, affordable and action-packed, so get down to your local track and experience it firsthand. Get all the info at harnessmediacentre.com.au and we'll see you at the track for good times all round. You've only got to look at the New South Wales Drivers' Premiership list for the season just concluded to realise that youth dominated. Premiership winner Todd McCarthy is in his 20s. Cameron Hart, who finished fifth, is just 20, while young Josh Gallagher, who finished 10th, is only 19, but is a rapidly emerging talent. For veteran horsemen like Glenn McElhenney, the opportunities aren't as plentiful as they once were, but whenever he gets a horse with the necessary ability, he usually gets it home. Macker is 59 years old, he's driven well over 1,500 winners, including four Group 1s. He's helped many a battling trainer over the years, and nothing gives him greater pleasure than to win a race for one of the smaller stables. As we record this interview, he's on his way to the little central western town of Ugaura, where the qualifying heats of the Canola Cup are being conducted. Well, Macca, for you, it's just another day at the office. Yeah, it certainly is, John. Yeah, you've got to do a lot of travelling in this industry to uh, try and make a living out of it. You know, you're a very fit 59, Glenn, and you're just as keen as ever. I think you're driven mainly by a great love of the standard bred horse. Uh, yeah, that's correct, John. As you're well aware, I grew up in the Ronsville area and um, could have easily have um, gone to the thoroughbred industry, but uh, the standard breds were the ones that caught my eye and, uh, yeah, it's been a great journey ever since. Unlike jockeys who have to wear a designated cap colour, harness horse drivers wear a safety helmet which can be painted in the colour of their choice. Now, you use a very bright yellow helmet, which has become your trademark. Yeah, that's correct. Um, back in the day when I was only a little fellow and um, applied for my first set of colours, I'm a King South Sydney supporter, and, and they, they were my first choice. And uh, I lived in the Parramatta area, so I said, I'll throw the Parramatta colours in as my uh, third choice. And mm-hmm. at that time, uh, the... Harold Park Cotton Club were in charge of the industry and someone in their wisdom there decided to combine the two colours. So I ended up with a red and green shirt with yellow sleeves and a yellow cap and that's mm. how it came about. Well, people who watch the trots on Sky Racing and those on course looking for the horse that you're driving have no trouble at all picking you out. That helmet really stands out. Yeah, I'm fairly lucky. There's a few other yellow helmets out there but none are as bright as mine. So, yeah, it makes it very easy for people. You're at a stage in your career where you're entitled to pick and choose a little, but you'll jump on anything for anybody. You have yeah, that's di- correct, You can't John. say no, can you? No, yeah, and that has been a problem in the past. I can't say no, but what I have done over the last, say, 12 to 18 months is um, cut down on a little bit of the travel, and if, I, if I'm not going for more than a couple of drives, I, I really can't see the value, unless it's a like a carnival race or something, and 
that's a little bit different. But for the average meetings, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to curtail that a little bit. Yep. Well, there are two legendary names in trotting, the late Joe Wilsley and the late Kevin Robinson. Now, it's well documented that they both fathered families of 12. But your mum and dad, Ted and Ruth, beat that figure comfortably. Glenn, you were one of 14 kids. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, there's eight girls and there was six boys, yeah. Goodness me. Born in Queensland. I think you lived there in your early life. Yeah, actually, I was, um, I was born in Crown Street Women's Hospital in Sydney, but when I was a little toddler, Dad moved to Queensland for a job opportunity and we spent about uh, six or seven years up there. Mm. Well, when you were in your early teens, the family decided to move to Sydney and to Rose Hill, which was then a bustling thoroughbred precinct. Now, there was only one trotting trainer in the district, and he was destined to have a very big impact on your life. Yeah, uh, Rodney Vernon, yeah. Mm. He used to walk his horses uh, down past our place through the laneways that run through Rose Hill and to the Granville Showgrounds, and that's what caught our eyes. Mm. Well, he had you in the jogging cart when you were about 13 years of age. You were driving fast work by 14, and by that time you were absolutely bitten by the harness racing bug. I certainly was, yeah. Yeah, I just thought this was the bee's knees of everything. Yeah. Well, for those who can remember, and for those who can't, let's talk about that old Granville showground you mentioned. Many, many horses were trained there, and it was a shock to the trotting trainers when the Agricultural and Horticultural Society made the announcement that the venue was to become the Parramatta Speedway. Uh, that must have been in the mid-1970s, Glenn, was it? Yeah, mid-1970s to early 80s, yeah. It, it was a, a, sh- a shock to a lot of people and it, it really upset a lot of people. You know, cars and horses don't mix, we all know that. Mm. Now, there were some big-name trainers using Granville Showground in that era. Who were some of them? Uh, Jimmy Caffin, uh, Barry Madison, yeah, they're two that spring straight to mind. And, yeah, there was a lot of other people that come and went. Um, Normie Abood, that, you know, he had car yards around the area and he was quite successful in his day. Mm, Billy Hansel was another? Yeah, Billy Billy was more a freelance, but, yeah, did have a couple in work, yeah. And, mm. um, Billy was a good man if you needed a, a little bit of advice and if you needed one driven, he'd come down and give you a hand. So that was Fairly helpful. Now, the Sunday Jim Carners at Granville were a social event. You'd get anything up to 20 races. The crowds were as big as you get at a meeting these days. And, Glenn, as I recall, some illegal betting went on. A bloke, yeah, you a bloke used to stand up on the hill there near the home turn with a book. Yep. Yeah, you could have a sneaky bet if you wanted to and – Plenty of blokes come out and had a sneaky bet. It was a good day out, yeah. It was just a, like you said, it was a social gathering, more like a picnic meeting than a gymkhana. Yeah. Now, the closure of the Granville track did you a big favour when it's all boiled down because you and two of your brothers, David and Tim, rented boxes off the late Ned Feely at Bankstown and you took your horses there. Changed everything for you. Oh, it certainly did, you know, at Granville because the horse population as far as harness racing was concerned was dwindling. So, you know, you, you're out of sight, out of mind. But when we moved to Condal Park and 
we were exposed to a lot more trainers. Um, yeah, it was like a new lease of life and a lot of trainers started to notice me and mm. started to use my uh, services. Yeah. Well, Bankstown back then was a very, very busy centre. I've got no idea how many horses were trained there uh, at the peak of Banktown's uh, activity, but there must have been 150 to 200 horses worked on that track every day. In a vicinity stable in the area, there was about 150 horses because they were in every nook and cranny, and, mm. yeah, there was at least another 50 horses that were floated in every day for people to work them. Yeah, they, they come from everywhere, and, yeah, even the unofficial trials on a Sunday morning, you'd have eight or nine trials, and, you know, it was all organised by the local people and it was just run like clockwork and everybody's horses were evenly matched and, yeah, it was just a good time then. Most of the trotting meetings were conducted at night and that allowed you to take on a day job. And for 25 years, you work for a company called Sleep City, a mattress company. Is it still going? Uh, they're not going uh, trading in Sleep City, but they've diversified and become another name. And the name is, uh, it's called 1825 now. That's the name they use now. Mm. Well, Glenn, as I said, most of the meetings were at night, but there was an odd day meeting. You must have had a good boss or a trotting fan of a boss. Well, he wasn't a horseman as such, but uh, he appreciated if you put a day in and worked hard that, uh, you know, there was times that you could take a little bit of a liberty and that's the way it worked. You know, uh, I'd, I'd work some sometimes on a Saturday morning and, yeah, in lieu of that, yeah, he'd show a little bit of compassion and allow me to go to the day meetings when I had to. Mm. You know, in the early 2000s, you were a very, very busy driver. You built up a tremendously loyal clientele and back then you'd travel anywhere and there were five consecutive seasons between 2002-2003 right through to 06-07 when you topped the century of winners five times. And your winning tallies, Glenn, just to remind you, were 101, 139, 127, 151, that was your best ever, and 114. They were great times. They certainly were. They were busy times and, as you said, uh, uh, had a lot of loyal clientele and I was pretty fortunate at the time. I was doing the bulk of the driving for the Peter Morris stables because Peter had stepped back from the driving and so I was fortunate enough to do most of his driving. But, yeah, there was a, a lot of loyal cust- um, clients and, yeah, um, I must have been doing a good job because they just kept putting me on. Well, you drove close to 700 winners over those five seasons. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, they were heady days, yeah, and, and um, you know, I, I really appreciated uh, those times because, you know, now the times are getting a bit lean, you, you're just happy for the experience you had then. Mm. You got to drive a great filly during that era by the name of the Art of Illusion. You won 16 races with her, and to this day you say she is the best filly you've ever driven. Oh, most most definitely. I... I when I moved to Connell Park or Bankstown, I was fairly fortunate that I was breaking one or two horses in on top of everything else I was trying to do. And um, I got the opportunity to break her in. She comes straight from the sales. And I only had her four weeks and suggested to the, uh, the owners that she go to the paddock. And they said, oh, she needs a bit more. I said, not this one. It's, it's like she's been here before. I said, can't educate her anymore. And, 
yeah, they took her home and the rest of the sister, she just went on and become a nice mare. And she was widely travelled. I can remember her winning in Queensland. I think she won heats and finals of a couple of futurity races up there. And didn't she win in Melbourne too on one occasion? Fortunate enough to go down to Melbourne, I think they called it the Roses or something. It was run at Moody Valley. and mm. Yeah, she was good enough to win that. She was free back to pegs and the, when the sprint lane comes, she knew all about it. She just took off. Mm. One of her foals was called the Art of Delusion and he was one of your Group 1 winners. He was very handy, obviously, to win a Group 1, but he wasn't as good as his mum. No, no, he, he, he was a very good horse, and uh, as you said, he won a Group 1, and he went on to win a few more races, and I think they end up selling him to America, and I think he's still doing the job over there. Mm. You completed a unique two-year-old double in 2008 and 2009, when you won the Bathurst Gull Crown in consecutive years. The horses were MJM Grand and Chariot King, but the amazing coincidence, Glenn, is the fact that they were half-brothers. Yeah, that's correct, John. Um, it, was a, it was a great night when I won the first one on MJM Grand. Um, it just felt like the crowd was on top of you and it was just a, a magical feeling. You know, Halfway down the straight, I was putting a whip in the air because... I knew I had him carted and the horse was just coming home that quick. Uh, he was never going to be beaten from the top of the straight onwards. Now, he was trained by your old mate Ben Setry and uh, just to prove the, uh, the the solid nature of that friendship, he trains two of the horses you're driving at Ugara today. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've been friends for a fair while now and, um, yeah, this, this is what, this industry is all about being loyal to your mates and he asked me would I come up and drive him. I said, yeah, and and luck's, luck's a fortune that I've picked up a couple of extras, so it's going to make the trip really worthwhile. Chariot King gave you another Group 1 in 2010 when he won a three-year-old Breeders' Challenge final at Menangle and I remember that one well because you went out there with your confidence soaring. You were very positive of positive of attitude on that occasion. Yeah, yeah. Um, luckily, I was able to convince the trainer to um, allow me to drive the horse the way I wanted to, and you know it just all worked out great. And at the top of the straight, the horse pulled out, and yeah, he just he just done the job, and it was a great feeling that day. You've always spoken in glowing terms of a horse called Blank Canvas. Now you trained and drove him to win nine races in all, and an injury stopped him from realising his full potential. We never saw the best of him. Oh, that's correct. Um, he 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 was uh, a horse we bought as a year a uh, two year old already broken in and that he was a giant of a horse and we just knew that he was a horse of the future. Um, and we were lucky enough to win a two year old race, but yeah, uh, a little bit of bad luck towards towards the end of his four year old career uh, put a stop to him. But yeah, we we were that confident with the horse, John, that. Um, my wife and I, we went down to Brian Hancock's place because at the time he was known as Mr. Indian Dominion and we kind of mapped out a little program to, to take him on an Indian Minion, Minion journey over to South Australia and we just felt that we had the right horse. He was, uh, had a lot of upsides about him because if you go through his maternal family, his great-grandmother was Roma Hanover, so you couldn't get any better blood than that. Roma Hanover was one of the best mares I ever saw at Harold Park in all of the years I was calling the trots there, she was uh, thinly bred herself, as I recall, 
but tough mm. and speedy. She ticked every box Roma had over. Yeah, well, this horse kind of threw back to him, to her a little bit. Uh, he was a big horse and he took a long time to mature, but when he did, you could just feel the horse was going to do the job that we, we expected from him. Yeah. Well, many trainers have supported you over almost four decades. Let me remind you of a few of them, Glenn, and this uh, this will save my putting pressure on you to try and remember them all. There was Rod Vernon, the man who really kick-started your career. There was Neil Costello, Sam Trefoliti, Brian Hancock you've already mentioned, Peter Morris you've already mentioned. Roy Roots has been a great supporter. So has Clayton Harmy at Newcastle. Jimmy Castles, who uh, I think has only recently retired at a grand old age. He's been a a marvellous friend and a great supporter for you. David Waite, Neville Hargraves, Colin Pike, the man who trained and drove Paleface Adios. You did some driving for Colin in later years. And also Bill Neve. Can you think of any others? Uh, Yes, Ben Sentry. Uh, a gentleman called John Tapp, he was very supportive of me. Um, yeah, there's been lots, that, you know, like, as you said, when you put on the spot, you forget a lot of people. But, you know, um, at the moment I'm driving for my daughter and she still tolerates me. She's married to a driver and um, mm. yeah, but she still tolerates me and allows me to drive a couple of them. So, yeah, I'm very <laughs> lucky that um, that I do still get a little bit of support, but I'm very grateful for the support I had in the past. You've always enjoyed driving square trotters and you've won many races at the trot. You love them. Yep, that's correct. Yep, yep. Been very lucky there. What would you rate as the best trotter you've driven? I only had four drives on this particular one, John, but a a horse called Serenella that uh, Rodney Vernon trained. I was fortunate enough I uh, had a drive on her at Harold Park and one on her and then – Rodney took it down to the Inner Dominion in Victoria and he got suspended and that particular year they'd never run a consolation. She only made what we call the consolation and he got suspended and he asked me to come down and drive her in a, a trotting race on that night but we all felt it was the consolation of the trotters in the Dominion and I, I actually went on her that night and, yeah, she was a great thrill and I was fet- fet- fortunate enough to drive for Peter Carson when he was in his prime and, he put me on a horse called Ken O'Farm and I won a couple of races at Harold Park on him off 100 metres plus. And, yeah, it was a great thrill when you could come from 100 metres behind and, and beat the opposition. Mm, that's Walla Walla stuff. It, correct. Yeah, correct. I guess you to stand by for a moment, Glenn. We're going to pause for a commitment on the podcast back after this. It's good times all round at Harness Racing across New South Wales as the state's finest horses and drivers go wheel to wheel. With something for everyone, a trip to the trots is the perfect place to take family and friends. It's easy, affordable and action-packed, so get down to your local track and experience it firsthand. Get all the info at harnessmediacentre.com.au and we'll see you at the track Good times all round. My special guest is Glenn McAlenny, one of Australia's most popular harness trainers and drivers. Glenn, when you consider the number of times you've been around in 40 years, your injury list has been fairly light. A couple of broken ribs, a fracture of the coccyx bone was pretty nasty, 
Uh, that's about nine years ago. That happened at Newcastle on a Saturday night, I recall. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, um, I was up there and I was outside the leader driving one for uh, Roy Root Senior and uh, the leader just veered out sharply and uh, tipped me out of the gig. And yeah, yeah, um, that was a little bit unfortunate. Put a put a little bit of a stopper on my career for a little while there. Well, you were out for quite a while, I think maybe seven or eight weeks. Yeah, that's correct, and I missed a drive on winning the Simpson Sprint at Harold Park on a horse called Chariot King. I had a pretty good association with him, and yeah. I was fortunate enough when I was back healthy again that the trainer and the connections of the horse put me back on. We reinstated you. That's correct. <laughs> Your daughter, Tian, has been a source of great joy to you in recent years. She's inherited your passion for the standard bread. She's made her mark as a trainer and a driver. I think she's trained about 40 winners and driven quite a few. Yep, yeah, she's, she keeps a tally on everything that happens like all the younger ones do and she's actually up to 49 winners now and um, she's only drove four winners but she doesn't um, drive as much as uh, the others. She's just pretty happy to put the polish on them and when she has to, she'll climb on and drive one. So, yeah, we're pretty fortunate there. That And she's got a little bub, so mm. she's a pretty good mum and she wants to make sure she's there for the little fella. Yeah, he's about two now, isn't he? Uh, he's 18 months old and um, her husband had a, had a little girl, so she's the mum to two and she does a terrific job, even if I say so himself. Yeah, now her husband is Lee Sutton, who seems to be grabbing the attention of trainers all over the place, Glenn. You'll often see him at Newcastle with four or five drives. More stables have been putting him on. He drives very well. Yeah, he, he seems to be the, the main driver for uh, Clayton Harmony up that way, but uh, a lot of trainers are utilising his uh, services while he's up that way, and he's suffering a little bit like the rest of us at the moment with this new rating system. A lot of the trainers are using the junior drivers and dropping their horses lower grade, which is what a trainer's supposed to try, do is try and put his horse in the best company he can or the, the best race he can to get the um, the most prize money. Absolutely. Now, who are the trainers and drivers for whom you've had special admiration over that four decades? Oh, the first person that springs to mind is um, Brian Hancock because he, he was out there. He revolutioned the way, the way people drove and the way he communicated with everybody, he was really uh, media savvy. Mm. So he really put harness racing out there in everybody's face. Um, A.D. Turnbull, you've just got to admire um, his toughness. He was in every dog fight. He'd, he'd be at Harold Park on a Friday night and be at a country race meeting on the other side of New South Wales the next day. And back in the days that he was doing it, there was no freeways. It was all highways and you know, he's he just someone that's got to be admired and and the destiny he's created with his children, grandchildren and possibly great-grandchildren coming through. They're, they're all nice people. You, know, you don't have too many people having a bad word about them and it's all credit to AD. Old Joe Wilsley was another person I admired. He was just an out-and-out character and, you know, he, as you said, he had a large family and a lot of his children got involved in the industry and they're all nice people. So people like that and Kevin Robertson, his family, you know, you just got to admire people like that. But they also, they were great horsemen, great for the industry, but they were also good parents. It'll soon be nine years 
since the iconic Harold Park Paceway closed, uh, December of 2010. And none of us will ever forget uh, the final night there. The crowd was reminiscent of a 1960s crowd. You had drives on the night. It was quite moving, wasn't it? It was quite an emotional night. Um, it was an end of an era, um, but a new one was about to start. So, you know, uh, it's like everything. Uh, but, yeah, we all s- still reminiscent about Harold Park and we all say we still miss it. So, you know, uh, but, you know, they say things have got to change. Sometimes they put it good and sometimes they're not. But, you know, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be ever – it'll never be replaced. So thank God we've all got our memories of the place. You've been far too busy travelling and race driving uh, to ever become too involved in the training side of it. Mind you, you've had a trainer's licence for many, many years and you're likely to pop up with a horse every now and again. What's your current situation under your own name? Uh, no, I don't train any. Um, quite happy to um, – when Tian took out her licence, we, we kind of said, well, you know, this is the, the path that you should take and that's the path you wanted to take. So we uh, sought permission from the owners and all of that and they were all um, very supportive of us. So we kind of set Tian up in the – in that side of the industry and it was a couple of seasons later she said oh dad i just might get me trial license just so i can have a feel of this one and see how he goes and yeah it just exploded from there and you know, we're very proud of the, the way she's handled everything right and you're living at Menangle. you're a stone's throw from the track yep yeah we we, li- we all live together uh tiana husband and the children and i mm. and yeah we uh we all we all pitch in and do our bit how do you see yourself a few years down the track. Are you going to be another Graham Lang or Graham Bowyer uh, or one of those veterans uh, who continue to participate well into their 70s? I actually um, see myself at the moment just continuing uh, doing what I do, but I'm very keen about um, wanting to have a dabble at uh, training a thoroughbred. As you said, as I said earlier, I was born in, um, lived in Rose Hill and I'd really, at this stage of my career, I'd really love to have a little go at a, uh, a thoroughbred, but just at the moment, we've got a couple of younger horses Tian's got in the care, and I'm, I'm really trying to um, make sure I'm there as much as I can to support Tian, and um, yeah, but it's on the drawing boards to uh, maybe get a galloper. I, I keep looking on the auction sites for one that might suit me, that can teach me a little bit as I go, and then yeah, but still help Tian be there, very supportive for Tian. But, yeah, I really love to have a little go to Galloper. Well, I hope you get the opportunity, Glenn. And if you do, there's no doubt you'll do a very good job. I want to thank you sincerely for taking a lot of trouble to help us record this podcast. I know you've pulled off the, to the side of the road on a hilltop between Orange and Ugara. And uh, I'd like to thank you on behalf of all the Harness fans who might be dropping in to have a listen to you. Good luck, Glenn McElhinney. You're very passionate about this game and you've got a profound love of the standard bred horse. Thanks for talking to us. All right, John. I I really appreciate uh, you asking me to be a guest on your show and it's been a great pleasure. And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. (laughs)